like this. It's white noise. How about this? Right. It's pink noise. I know, right, pink? What about the next one? This is brown noise. Maybe a little less annoying than the pink or the white noise. White noise is actually every single sound frequency that is detectable by the human ear, all played equally at one time. That's what white noise is. And it comes from this idea of our color spectrum. So if we have every single um, color of the rainbow, Roy G. Biv, eighth grade science, at one time, that is white. So all of the sound frequencies at one time is white noise. That's where that comes from. The pink noise is actually um, the power of the frequency decreased a little bit, and it gives the illusion, kind of, that it is a deeper tone, maybe a little bit more soothing. And pink noise, people think it kind of sounds like maybe a waterfall. Can you play it again, Julie? Waterfall, okay. Brown noise. Brown noise is actually the power of that frequency decreased twice as much as pink, and people think that that one sounds a little bit more like maybe a rain shower or actually the shower. Do you wanna play that one? These sound frequencies are actually used. You've probably heard people like put white noise in the background, it will help you sleep. Well, there is research that shows that because it's filled with the sound frequencies, it actually will kind of block out some of those sounds that actually distract us. And so it kind of go, it's just in the background and we don't even hear it. I like brown noise and I use brown noise a lot at home and at work because as you can imagine, a house with four kids would get a little bit loud. And as you can imagine, the hallway of offices at Timberwood Church are probably full of energy and volume sometimes. And so I put in my, Air, my AirPods, and when I need to do some reading or I need to do some writing, I have my brown noise in, and it distracts. It keeps out all of this distracting noise. And I forget it's even there. It's almost like I, I can just ignore it. And I think sometimes that's what we do with things that become very familiar with us, right? It's there, and we know it's there, but we just kind of ignore it. We don't really pay that much attention to it. And I think that we oftentimes do that with some of the familiar lessons that we find in Scripture. I think some of the most important instruction on what it actually means to be a follower of Christ comes in Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia. And maybe it's familiar enough that we don't give it much thought anymore. And it becomes like white noise. So let's take a look in Galatians. We're in chapter 5, verses 22 and 24 through 24. If you're in a blue Bible, it is on page 975. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and its desires. Familiar, familiar text. I think that we have heard this before. Paul is actually contrasting the list of works that he had mentioned previously, the works of the flesh. He talked about sexual immorality. He talked about idolatry, jealousy, fits of anger, division, envy, drunkenness. Those are the fruits of the flesh. These are the fruit of sin, also selfish motivation, and also greed. And he makes the point that the lives we live are actually producing something, whether we realize it or not. And the fruit we produce comes from within us. It's rooted in something good or bad, moral or sinful, life-giving or life-sucking, gracious or insensitive. The question is, what kind of fruit do our lives actually produce? It's actually not a question about the fruit that we ourselves produce. Remember, throughout this entire letter, Paul is talking about the opposite of works, the opposite of acts that bring righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is not about working hard or being extra disciplined. It's about dependency on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God working in and through us in and through our lives. Think about it. Before science started to mess with nature and genetically modify everything to meet our needs, God created every single fruit in perfection. And the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, tells us, God said, Let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And it happened. They were perfect. Our efforts alone do not produce the fruits of the Spirit. Just like God is responsible for all of the fruits that we have accessible to us now, well, or then, before our scientists got a hold of them, it is God through the Holy Spirit in us who cultivates the fruit of the Spirit. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and when we choose to follow him, he gives us his Spirit. His Spirit is in us. That is Christ in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is Christ through us. And what does Christ through us actually look like? We can look at a tree... And we know what kind of a tree it is based on the kind of fruit that it produces. What is our life producing? Are we recognized as a follower of Christ? Are we recognized by being empowered by his spirit? So what does a good fruit look like? Timothy George said, The fruit of the spirit is the grace of a spirit-controlled life. This fruit of the spirit is the grace of a spirit-controlled life. The fruit of the spirit are the characteristics or attributes of a life lived for Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit. People often refer to these nine characteristics or attributes in the plural. They say fruits of the spirit. 
It is true that each of these, each of these attributes are distinct, but I think Paul uses them to describe a united singular fruit. Like when we describe an apple as sweet or tangy or a little bit tart, juicy and even crunchy. One fruit can have many attributes. Paul is talking about a new kind of fruit, one that is cultivated by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same fruit that we see in the life of Jesus. So let's create a visual. The first part of the fruit he talks about is love. That's the base. And then the next one that he talks about is joy. Do you recognize this? Papaya. John, you're not here, but you, I know you'd be proud. And then he also talks about patience, or peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, There it is. Fruit of the Spirit. Right? It's kind of a wonky-looking fruit, but let's be honest. Let's look at some of the fruit that he created for us anyway. Okay, makes me a little bit nervous. Okay. Fruit of the Spirit. He describes these fruits as all, with all of these attributes, and they're all a little bit different and distinct. They are not emotions, and they are more than feelings. They are attributes that carry out the will of God and actually support human flourishing. The foundation of the fruit is, of course, love. We hear about that more than anything else in Scripture. Love through the Holy Spirit. We are enabled to love others with the love of God. It's not about loving the handful of people we choose because it's easy to love them. And it's not loving those people that just look like us, act like us, or believe like us. We are actually commanded to love others. And we are actually capable of doing that through the Spirit. Then the next one is joy. And this is not talking about just happiness, like I'm joyful and I'm happy. Joy is lived in the midst of pain and suffering and even when things are not going so well. It's marked by a faith in God and his victory over the power of sin and darkness. And then there's peace. And peace is not gauged by our circumstances, but the condition of wholeness and well-being grounded in a right relationship with God and unity with others. Next is patience. Patience means that we can put up with people even when it's not an easy thing to do. God has been so long-suffering with the stupidity of humans throughout history. And through the Spirit, we can extend the same kind of grace to others. 
kindness. Think of Jesus' kindness towards sinners and the people that nobody else wanted to care for or pay attention to. His kindness is not shaming and it is not blaming. And then there's goodness. This attribute is found only four times in the New Testament and every single time it's in the writing of Paul. And he's talking about benevolence and generosity towards others. That's goodness. And faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that we are familiar with and we hear about it. Faithfulness is, is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is also the quality of being true, trustworthy, and reliable. That is an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness, gentleness is not talking about the mastery, or excuse me, is not talking about a, a wimpy kind of posture. It's not talking about being non-assertive. It's a teachable spirit. Gentleness is a teachable spirit, meaning we are genuinely humble and considerate towards others. And the last one is self-control. It's the mastery over one's desires. Not just as in don't eat that cookie or don't eat that piece of cake. And it's not like mind over matter. It's keeping us from doing harm to ourselves and also harm to others. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit with many attributes. These attributes ought to be at the core of who we are as followers of Christ. And it also should be at the core of how we interact with others around us. Christ in me and Christ through me. Christ is in you and he wants to work through you. I don't know about you, but some of these attributes do not come uh, real easily. Like patience, putting up with somebody even though it's not easy. My eye-rolling reflex is actually like at the professional level. level. <laughs> and my kids would tell you that I am like the expert eye-roller. Like, come on, let's do this. Patience is not my thing. But we oftentimes hear about people saying, oh, when they were waiting in line for patience, the line, you know, they ran out, so he didn't get any. That's not exactly how that goes. And then what about self-control? I love to control things, actually, so I'm probably really good at this one. I'll even fight for it, but probably not the control that God intends for us to have. And what about your little two-year-old self? How many of you are exhibiting some self-control right now because what you actually really want to do is walk up on this stage and just poke my little model. <laughs> Self-control. It's like the fruit of the Spirit coming from me is genetically modified. The, the fruits that come out of me are genetically modified. They are there, and I use them to suit me and not always the good of others. Thankfully, we know that cultivating fruit takes time. And likewise, we should always be growing and cultivating 
our life as a follower of Christ. Growth is not passive. It doesn't just happen. We need a posture of openness to what the Spirit is doing and how the Spirit is working in us, how the Spirit is stirring us, making us uncomfortable, and stretching us. And we have to pay attention to what God is doing in and around us. Our responsibility is to be willing. We don't have to be the source of strength for this. Our responsibility is to be willing and open, ready to watch and listen, and ready to participate when God tells us to go or move or act. And so, how is he asking you to grow? Is he asking you to prune? And where is he telling you to engage? Verse 24 actually points us to this idea of pruning. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This isn't about us being crucified with Christ like Paul was talking about earlier. This is about what we must do when we have been crucified with Christ. We have to be willing. Paul is asking us to put, the, um, put to death the desires of our flesh. It is a graphic representation of repentance. Like, put them there and walk away and never turn back. That's what Paul is talking about crucifying our de desires of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit will show who we are, and the fruit of the Spirit will show whose we are. All of these attributes reflect the grace and the love of Jesus. Again, it's Christ in me and Christ through me. A few weeks ago, I suggested that we ought to ask ourselves this question. How do others experience me? How do others experience me? What if every time we looked at a piece of fruit, picked up a piece of fruit, or took a bite of a piece of fruit, we asked ourselves the question, how do others experience me? A life that produces the fruit of the Spirit should draw people in because you embody the love of Christ. We are not going to get all of these attributes right all the time. It's never going to be the perfect picture of fruit. But the gift of the Spirit means that it is not about our own ability or our own strength. Last Thursday, my friend Jeff endured a 12-hour surgery at the U of M to remove a brain tumor near his left ear. And the night before, he sent our small group this message and I did ask him for permission to share it. He said, I've been kicking this upcoming surgery around in my noggin. Initially, I thought it would be easy because I went through so much hell in college that anything would be nearly effortless in comparison. It is tempting to think that I survived that poo storm. I'm much stronger now. This is no problem. But I don't think that quite captures my perspective. The difference between an immature Christian and a mature Christian isn't strength. 
just as the difference between an immature parachuter and a mature parachuter isn't the ability to fly. You see, the immature parachuter will hesitate to jump out of the plane, and then he may or may not even attempt to help the parachute by flapping his wings on the way down. The mature parachuter will quickly leap from the plane and enjoy the view. Regardless, both have the same utter dependency on the parachute. The mature parachuter just embraces and trusts the dependency more easily. Maturity doesn't make you strong. It doesn't make your fruit perfect. It just causes you to rely on God's strength sooner. And likewise, maturity doesn't mean that we have this life as a follower of Christ all figured out. It means that we are humble and that we trust the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. The fruit of the Spirit can't just be a nice Christian platitude that we put on a plaque and hang on our walls. Love, joy, peace. You've seen them. They may be hanging in your home. But do you see them? And it can't just be a background noise or a piece of something hanging on our walls. It can't be something that we continue to ignore. So the opposite of white noise would be black noise, right? It's actually a thing. So if white noise is the presence of all of the frequencies of sound that the human ear can hear at one time, then black is the absence of any sound. It is complete silence. And have you ever heard of the, there's a room somewhere, I don't know where it is, where like it is actually like complete silence, so quiet that it actually kind of like drives you a little crazy? I don't think that we can quite get to that level of silence. But silence is a space that offers us communion with God through his spirit. It can be hard to find in a world with so much noise and so much opportunity to keep us busy and distracted. Most of us could find space for silence, but we actually avoid it because it makes us uncomfortable. And some of us actually unconsciously avoid it because we're afraid of what God might reveal or what he might ask us to consider. This morning, as we close in prayer, we will end with a few moments of silence. So please join me. Father God, in the quietness of this moment, we invite you to reveal the actual fruit of our lives. Would you fill our hearts, fill our minds with your will and not our own? Show us how we can completely love you and love others so that you alone are ultimately glorified and honored.